Christmas, everyone, and welcome to the Classic English Literature Subcast, that quirky little stream off the main river of the podcast, in which we bathe and swim and fish for... Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure where I started that metaphor. Anyway, today, to mark the Christmas holiday, I'd like to give you a little stocking stuffer of an episode. Shakespeare would be the obvious go-to, yeah? Since we've been rattling around with him for a while now. There's a nice little speech in Hamlet by Marcellus after he and Horatio and the other guards have seen the ghost of Hamlet's father. I like it because it's not typically Christmassy, or at least not to our modern ears. There's a medieval, almost primordial feeling to it, one of threat and one of sanctuary. Quote, Some say that ever against that season comes wherein our Savior's birth is celebrated. This bird of dawning singeth all night long, and then they say no spirit dare stir abroad. The nights are wholesome, then no planet strike, no fairy takes, nor witch hath power to charm, so hallowed and so gracious is the time. Oh, that's just beautiful. Uh, or, or there's that line from Midsummer Night's Dream, right? Titania notes the human need for the sanctuary that Marcellus desperately hopes for. She says, quote, The human mortals want their winter cheer. No night is now with him or Carol blessed. But you know what? Let's give, uh, let's give Shakespeare the holiday off. Let's instead, let's look at one of those carols that Titania mentions. I recently found out that there is only one 17th century Christmas carol approved by good King Billy himself. That's William III, House of Orange, if you're counting. And it's the first officially recognized by the Church of England. And that is While Shepherds Watched Their Flocks by Night, originally published as Song of the Angels at the Nativity of Our Blessed Savior. Now, there's quite an interesting story attached to this. Would you like to hear it? Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. First, let's have a listen to the song. I have here a 1939 recording by the BBC Chorus. It's on a 78 RPM record. These were made of shellac, by the way, so the sound quality is not great. I chose it for a couple of reasons. One, because uh, it's in the public domain and I can use the entire thing. And two, I actually kind of like the scratchy sound a little bit, especially for something like this. You know, we're talking about being transported into the past. And I know the song recalls a period thousands of years ago, and the record is only a few decades old, but I still like that crackly sound. It's sort of it sounds old, it sounds transportative, it sounds like it's from another world or something. So, anyway, I hope you enjoy.
here are the lyrics, as written by Nahum Tate. While shepherds watched their flocks by night, all seated on the ground, an angel of the Lord came down, and glory shone around. Fear not, said he, for mighty dread had seized their troubled mind. Glad tidings of great joy I bring to you and all mankind. To you in David's town this day is born of David's line a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this shall be the sign. The heavenly babe you there shall find to human view displayed, all simply wrapped in swaddling clothes and in a manger laid. Thus spoke the angel. Suddenly appeared a shining throng of angels praising God, and thus addressed their joyful song, All glory be to God on high, and to the earth be peace. To those on whom his favor rests, goodwill shall never cease. The English word carol comes from the French carole, which is a dance in a ring, or a round dance accompanied by a cheerful tune. The ultimate origin of the word may be the Latin corolla, meaning a dance to a flute, and that probably comes from a Greek word meaning the flute player themselves. What we have is a peppy song that prompts a communal popular dance, and these perhaps go back at least to the 7th century. But they weren't tied to any particular holiday or festival originally. Now, we don't do the ring around the rosy dance much anymore, and the word carol now restricts itself to Christmas hymns. Frosty the Snowman, rocking around the Christmas tree, the jingle bell rock, they're not carols. They are merely maddening. But because of the form's rather secular and carnivalesque roots, the stern guardians of Protestant moral rectitude sucked their lemons while standing athwart merriment and said, Stop! Ah, well, sort of. Now, back in 1534, when Henry VIII divorced the Pope because he couldn't divorce Catherine of Aragon and set up his own independent church, many felt an opportunity had been missed. Henry didn't really do much in the way of theological, doctrinal, or liturgical reform. Basically, he made himself the boss and closed down a bunch of monasteries to keep the loot. Now, the real lemon suckers, who we now call the Puritans, believed that the church needed a a radical colonic flush, not a mere wipe, to fully rid itself of Catholicism's pageantry, superstition, and avarice, which contradicted what they believed to be the Bible's plain teaching of Christian austerity. Accordingly, even in the Anglican congregation, music was generally restricted to the communal singing of the Psalms, which is a book of poems in the Hebrew scriptures traditionally ascribed to King David. A leader would line out the psalm and the congregation would repeat. The vocals were unaccompanied. But while shepherds got the thumbs up because... Though it wasn't a psalm, it sets to music a metrical paraphrase of the Annunciation of the Shepherds, the story told in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. I take my text from the authorized version of the Bible, commonly known as the King James, as that is the rendering versified in the carol. Quote, 
And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Irish-born English poet laureate Nahum Tate renders this passage poetically, at least in the first publication in three eight-line stanzas, though it has been subsequently rendered in quatrains with alternating four-foot and three-foot lines, and lines two and four rhyme perfectly. In hymnody, this is called common meter, and it allows for the lyrics to be sung to any number of tunes composed in what was called wait for it, common measure. Words and music were interchangeable and could be mixed and matched as suited a particular congregation's tastes. Suggestions included the tune Winchester Old or St. James Tune, and another melody sometimes associated with this text comes from an aria from George Frederick Handel's opera Siroi. Mr. Handel, of course, graciously supplies the theme music for our main podcast episodes. Thank you. Anyway, the brief of the rhymester in such tasks is to render prose into poetry without adding or deleting anything from the source text. Tate was an experienced scribbler, well known for his translations of Ovid and Juvenal, and also for a revision of Shakespeare's King Lear, giving that bleakest of all plays a happy ending. Yeah. We'll talk about that in the King Lear episode sometime. The hymn was included in a supplement to a revised edition of the A New Version of the Psalms of David from 1696, which supplanted the old version, which was titled The Whole Book of Psalms from 1562, nearly a century and a half earlier in the dawning years of Elizabeth's reign. However, Tate's work on Wild Shepherds, when published in the year 1700, drew a bit of criticism for straying from the biblical text a bit too much. Alas, everyone's a critic, huh? He responded that faithfulness to the text must be balanced with elegance. Hymn scholar J.R. Watson praises the paraphrase's narrative tastefulness and effectiveness. He says it, quote, carries the story with unobtrusive strength and a grand simplicity. And this method became quite influential in psalmody and began to loosen some of the strictures surrounding the composition of sacred music, giving the form a greater flexibility. So there you go, litterbugs, mental stocking stuffed. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. Until next time... 